baby. We in here. Yeah, we in here. We Y'all better get comfortable with saying black. We in here. Yeah, we in here. Black versus the Board of Education. Yeah, we in here. That's why we are indeed a whole mood. That's it. And we're back like we never left. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Black versus the Board of Education. Happy New Year indeed. It is January 8th. And the gang is all here. Where are the rest of my ladies? Y'all just left them in the background somewhere. We'll, we'll let them pop on. Um, you know, it's it's a new year. It's it's a new chance to do some things correctly. And although we are still in the same podcast space, we hopefully we'll be moving soon because it's a lot of us in here and I'm already hot. So <laughs> with that, we're going to go ahead and get a couple of introductions. I'm going to start right here to my left, Miss Quinessa. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, y'all. Um, that's it <laughs> that's all you got happy new year uh-huh uh-huh and you are who because i know i said your name but introduce oh, yourself um, i'm a youth advocate here and um my name is quinessa <laughs> that's that's uh vanessa with a q vanessa with a q. all right all right well welcome back hey Jalen. hello uh my name is Jalen. uh like she said happy new year's uh go huskies go huskies yeah they're playing the national championship right now Oh. Over Michigan because I don't like Michigan. Go Huskies! Oh, I'm, I'm like that is not the mascot of your school. No. <laughs> oh, yeah. So Jalen is actually going to be going. He's going to be leaving us, uh, mm-hmm. but he's going to pop in virtually though, right? Yes. And mm-hmm. you're going to return to where? San Francisco State. Uh, got two semesters left. Come on, go semesters. Go Let's go. go. Okay. Uh, let me go over right in front of me. Hey, Adrian. Hello. Uh, yeah. Yeah. My yeah. Welcome Adrian. back. Yeah. Uh, coming off the of flu. <laughs> okay. Oh. Um, what? I feel good. You feel good? You, feel okay. Good you don't have no more germs? Oh, Lord. Aww. Okay. Uh, Keela, hey. Hey, it's your girl, Keela. Uh-huh. Um, happy New Year. Um, I'm doing good today. It's Monday, so, you know, be back in your Mondays. Awesome. Awesome. And rounding out the in-studio crew. Hey, there. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. Happy New Year. Carlos Simpson, child advocate, credible messenger, life coach. And the only other OG on the panel. So welcome, because we're going to have to hold it down for these youngins. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Anaya. <laughs> hey, everyone. My name is Anaya. Currently a freshman in college. In college where? Oh, at Howard University. Okay, well, she just returned. You flew out yesterday, yes? Yeah, my flight got delayed. One got canceled, then it got delayed, but I, I made it back. Okay, you sound so excited. You know, keep that energy. No, I really keep am. Because this I'm not feeling really it. So and Dr. Flo is in the back laughing, um, and we're going to pull her up in, in just a minute. Hey, Happy New Year, Miss Tawana. Um, we're going to round it out with the baby of the crew because um, – yeah, she's there, and we got a lot to talk about with you, so why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. My name is Melissa. I am 17 years old and a senior in high school in SoCal. In SoCal. Well, welcome, 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 you guys. So, Melissa, um, you've had a lot of stuff going on, and I know there were some things on social media about some big news of yours. Do you want to share with everybody? I can share, yeah. So, um, Miss Lorene knows that Spelman College has been my number one college since I met her, since my freshman year, and mm-hmm. I got accepted early decision. And I see we got a Spelman alumni. She was, she was, but um, <laughs> I'm a proud member of the class of 2004, so this is my 20th anniversary, and it is one of the best decisions I ever made. So congratulations. Thank you so much. And Mr. Wanda said, that's her baby. That's my baby, too. You're going to have to share her. So <laughs> with all this energy that's going on, it's a new year. We got a chance to do some incredible things, and we can't wait to get started. But our first order of business is getting to know this young lady right here that is running 
uh, historic run as the first black woman to be the mayor of Sacramento. You guys, please welcome Dr. Flo to the show. Um, and it looks like she froze for a second. Um, oh Lord. She, she, okay. Um, let's go Flo. Um, she's okay. So Dr. Flo, like, right. (laughs) I don't know what happened. There she is. Okay. Okay. Um, Dr. Flo, go ahead and introduce yourself. (laughs) Sure. So I am Flo Kofer. I am running for mayor of Sacramento. And I'm originally actually from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I am the daughter of two public school teachers. My mom taught eighth grade English. My dad taught eighth grade math. And what they instilled in me was a strong sense of community. So if you ever were their student, you were always their student. And that meant that you could come by, you know, years later and they would help you write your college application essays and they would show up to, you know, your games and your science fairs and your graduations um, from high school, from college, from grad school. Like you became one of my siblings. Uh, and so that was the, the the nature of family that my parents created. And that is part of why I am the way I am and who I am as a person. And unfortunately, when I was 11, my dad passed away of congestive heart failure. And what, you know, reflecting on that experience now as an adult and as a public health professional, it clearly laid the ground for me to go into public health. Because one of the things I learned, you know, early on was, was how policies are a matter of life and death. My dad would be in his 70s if he were still alive. And he started smoking at a time when, you know, the companies heavily marketed to black and brown communities. And when they lied, directly lied and said, these products are good for you. You should smoke more of them. Knowing full well that wasn't true and that they, you know, shorten our lives and cause cancer and heart disease and a whole manner of other things. And so, you know, recognizing that my dad wouldn't have died at 47 had there been policies that exist now to protect us that would have existed then to protect him. And so I really wanted to better understand, you know, what we could do to be able to protect our communities. And at the same time, I also got, you know, the best of what was possible in a devastating situation and that I got grief counseling at my public school. So I was able to deal with the trauma of losing my parent. And also my mom was able to continue to afford, you know, where we lived. So I didn't have to lose the only community and the only home I had ever known. And those are all policy decisions. And so you know, we have a saying in public health of tell me about your early life experiences and how you turn them into your career. And for me, those are my early life experiences. And that's why I got into public health because I wanted to protect communities because I started noticing once I lost a parent, how many other people who looked like me were graduating from high school or college and no longer had at least one parent and recognizing what that meant about our life expectancy. So I moved to Sacramento about 20 years ago and I came here for a fellowship. Girl, don't be telling them your age. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> I mean, I already said what year I graduated from Spelman, so we can go ahead don't and do that. that. <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 you can't, you can't be out of school that long without, you know, some numbers adding up. So, right. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I moved here and I fell in love with Sacramento. It reminded me a lot of Pittsburgh. Um, I'm from the neighborhood in Pittsburgh that August Wilson wrote his century series about fences and two trains running and Jitney. Mm-hmm. Um, And so, you know, it's a neighborhood that reminds me a lot of Oak Park or Del Paso Heights or Meadowview, right? And so Mm -hmm. uh, when I came here, I found that same close-knit community. We got rivers running through it. We're a small, smaller city in a state with bigger ones. Um, And so it just, it felt a lot like home and I didn't have to shovel snow anymore. So I was like, look, I'm sold. (laughs) (laughs) After, After years at Michigan for grad school, I was like, if you tell me the temperature doesn't drop below 25, I'm sold. Please. (laughs) And so I stayed and I just have fallen in love with this community, but also we have some real challenges that we're facing. And so I'm running for mayor because I am connected to our community. I am one of our community members. I don't think that big business um, and corporations or the powers that be should be running things. I think Mm. the people who are part of this community should be the ones running things. And I am committed to that as the next mayor of Sacramento. Fantastic. Uh, We want you to take a breath because I know that was a whole lot. Um, And we want to make sure we get some um, questions in for you. But I want to remind the the folks in the chat, if you have a question, go ahead and put it in there. Additionally, today's episode is called More is Possible. And I took that from your tagline because that is uh, Dr. Flo's tagline, More is Possible. We believe that leadership can do more and they need to do more. Um, And so with that, 
Let's start off with Ms. Quinessa. Do you have a question for the lovely candidate, Dr. Flo? Um, sure. Yeah, I was looking over your website and the houseless crisis seems to be a huge part of your campaign. And um, On it. I'm wondering how you became so passionate about that as one of your like core pillars. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that question, you know, um, because so often, you know, there's a saying nothing about us without us. And I am constantly reminded of that saying because my mom's brother has schizophrenia and at times has been unhoused. Um, and so I know the fear of being part of a family that loves someone. Um, and also that at times we can't find that person. And when my grandmother was sick and died, we couldn't find my uncle. Um, he has cycled in and out of the jail when he's trespassed somewhere he wasn't supposed to be staying, right? We have struggled to get him the, the help and support that he needs. Um, I also have friends who are unhoused. Um, and so people who are close and in my life who don't regularly have a place to stay. So for me, this isn't just like an academic exercise around, you know, should we do the right thing? It's also personal. Um, these are people I deeply care about who I want to be cared for. And so that's why I care so much about it because, you know, 10 years ago, we only had 2,500 people experiencing homelessness and the majority of them, over 70% had shelter. And now we have over 10,000 and we have the point in time count coming up um, in a couple of weeks. So if anybody's interested in volunteering to help with that, that's how we document how many people are experiencing homelessness. So the more volunteers we have, the more people we can get to. But um, at the last point in time count, we had you know 10,000 people who were experiencing homelessness and 72% were unsheltered. So that's 7,200 people at least on our streets every day, whether it's 115 degrees out or whether it's raining and 35 degrees outside. And that is an impact that has an impact on our health. And so that's why I care because I'm, you know, a public health professional, but I'm also a niece and a friend and a daughter. And I want better for the people that I see outside um, who I love and care about. Miss hmm. Anaya. Um, my question, well, yeah, my question is what is on policy or like something you want to implement that you see a problem with right now? Yeah, there's, there's so many, Anaya, so many things I'd love um, to implement, but you know, the, the big thing I want to start with, um, there are really two things, right? The first one is I want our city to have some priorities because it's really hard to decide how to spend your money. Um, and what to do moving forward if you haven't decided what the priority is, because then you can get set goals to be able to um, reflect your priorities. And for as many years as I can remember, we have not had priorities for the city of Sacramento. So therefore, when we're spending money, we're just kind of spending it based on who yells the loudest at the time the budget comes up. Um, and, and that's how we spend it, right? And so we need to be a lot more strategic about how we spend our dollars if we want to actually achieve something and answer some and have solutions to some, some challenging um, problems. The other thing I'd like to do is I said before, nothing about us without us. I really believe that. I, you know, I always say I have, you know, two undergrad degrees and two graduate degrees and nothing I have ever written in my however many years of life, 41 years of life, um, has been, has my first draft been the best one, right? Like I have always benefited from peer review. I've always benefited from somebody else taking a look and saying, hey, edit this, say it this way, move this around. And so the same thing is true for the policies that we're passing. You know, nobody knows the lived experience of a community better than the people who live in that community. And so they should have a, a, an ability to have a say in what we do. And so the second thing I want to do really early on in my tenure is make sure that our community voices are embedded in the process. And what that looks like is you don't get to build in our community unless there's a community benefits agreement that says you're going to hire people locally or you're going to do some of the things that people want. You don't get to pass policies without first asking our neighborhood associations and community-based organizations and people who live in the community and giving them more than five days to weigh in on a decision and to offer input and amendments and also to be able to say how we can help. Because the thing I love about Sacramento is that 30,000 people show up on Thanksgiving morning to, to support the food bank. This is not a place full of people who don't care. This is a place mm -hmm. full of people who are re ready to roll up their sleeves and get involved and who really care about their neighbors and their family and their friends. And so I want to make sure that we're a part of the decision-making process so that we don't have projects that come along that harm us and don't help us. Mm. And my question, I have a question that's very similar to what you just went over. And my question is, 
how are how are how is the community going to be able to make sure that you we can hold you to those words? How are you going to be? How accessible are you going to be um, in taking criticism? Yeah, so I think that's a great question. So I'll start with saying that I'm not running for mayor because I need a job. I actually have a great job, and it's something that I'm really sad about. You know, be, having to walk away from to run run here. So I'm running to represent people. And that means that this is a full-time job for me. It's not a stepping stone to, to get some other office. And so I want to hear from the community. I'm also a public health professional. So we're used to being fussed at about every idea we come to. People tell us, no, you're wrong. And let me tell you why. Everything from seatbelts to vaccines to whatever we come up with, the first answer is no. So I'm used to being fussed at. I'm used to hearing from people. Right? Like that's how it works, right? So folks are going to fuss. Um, I probably have bad boundaries because I give my cell phone number out to people all the time. And I'm like, reach out, call me, email me. We're going to be responsive. Um, it's one of those things that I think is important for us to be able to have moving forward. But more than that, I think it's also important that I build structure so that it's not just when I'm mayor, but whoever is mayor, that there is a process for our community voices to be heard and to be influential. And right now we have built a system where your voice has limited power and can be more easily ignored than listened to. And I wanna reverse that so your voice can be more easily heard than ignored. And so then you won't have to worry as much. You'll still have to worry about it, but you won't have to worry as much about, do you have access to me and will I listen when you're upset? Because your voice will have more sway and more power and more influence over the decisions we're making it in our communities. And I think that's the kind of structural change mm -hmm. that we need. But the other side of it is, you know, I'm, I'm a regular down to earth person. I'm not taking corporate PAC money or law enforcement money or fossil fuel money or tobacco money. So that means that those 10, 20, $100, $200 donations that everybody gave, all those people are going to be calling me up saying, hey, remember when I supported you to run for mayor? This is not what I expect. So that's my accountability, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not beholden to big business to do their bidding. I'm beholden to you because that's who got me elected. And that's how we're going to govern is together. Carlos. Uh, first and foremost, it's an honor and a pleasure. Appreciate you um, lending your time. Um, you having me. I really had one question, but as you spoke, I started having all these things popping up. So I might be one of the ones asking for that phone number. Oh, um, like for real though. Um, but like with all due respect to the people that have served this country, right? I'd like to know your viewpoint or your stance on PTSD amongst urban youth. Well, I, I'm, I'm almost, I think I know why you said with all due respect to people who have served this country, but can I, can I ask a follow-up question? Are you saying that because PTSD feels like something that only military veterans have like the, the corner market on? You know what I mean? Yes, most definitely. Because okay. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I don't, I, you know, I'll just say to you from my vantage point, I don't think that that preamble is even necessary because PTSD is not just about having been in a war zone. PTSD is about the experiences that we've had that we may not have had the resources to be able to deal with. Um, and so when I think about stress and trauma and adversity, I think about the dosage of adversity exceeding the resources that you have in that moment, right? And that can lead to post-traumatic stress disorder. And so yes, absolutely young people in our communities have it. And I think what's really challenging is that we don't, we often don't recognize it because we are really early if we think about, you know, just the process of our understanding of really quantifying and naming you know, traumatic events in childhood and understanding their long-term impacts on our health and well-being. The, the original, you know, Adverse Childhood Experiences Study only came out in 1998, which I know to, I'm, I'm on a podcast full of people who weren't born yet, and that seems like, oh, that was back in the 1900s, right. but I can assure you it was not that too hard, Adrian. Okay. Not that long ago. And so we're talking about, you know, 25 minutes, right? Um, or 25 years, excuse me, uh, you know, since that, that first study came out and we're just beginning to understand. And that study did not include anybody who was experiencing homelessness. It didn't include anybody who was an immigrant. It didn't include, you know, it, it didn't include a lot of low income folks. Nobody on Medi-Cal was a part of that. And yet we still found that the more adversity you experienced before you turned 18, the more likely you were to have everything from diabetes and heart disease to, you know, mental health challenges, right? Mm. So this has long ranging impact on our entire health and well-being, not just our mental health. And so the more we can begin to appreciate that, the more we then can understand how kids are showing up in school, 
Mm. How kids, how people are showing up in their job places. We all just went through a collective trauma event with COVID. There we go. And we just had we had we had 10 minutes to figure it out. And then it was like, great, <laughs> you're going to school on Zoom, you're going to work on Zoom, wear a mask and keep it pushing. And it's like, but I just lost three family members and I'm scared for my life, but I'm sick. But I'm right, like we don't even pause to be able to to address that. So that's part of what my background and work has been about is addressing trauma in communities and understanding its impact. Um, and I'm really deeply committed to making sure that the structures that we create are not traumatic, but are healing in nature. And that involves creating community and building trust um, and slowing down to allow more voices to be a part of the process and diversifying how we share information with people so it meets everyone where they are and helps get us where we're going. Kayla. Um, so I had a comment and then I kind of want to know like your feedback on what I'm about to um, tell you. So me and Ms. Lorraine, we went to a city city home, council, meeting. city council meeting, mm -hmm. uh, like early December, late or like mid. And so we were there for, you know, to support like the youth liaison positions and just like seeing what the atmosphere was going to be like, how people were going to react. And so while we were there, um, while we were talking about the youth liaisons, there was about over 30 people that had comments and like wanted to share their opinions. And then the district. No, or the, the council members. The council members. Yeah, Cause it's not school. Right. Right. <laughs> I'm like switching, but yeah. So the council members basically were like very rude, almost like, and they kind of were all talking like within each other while the commenters were speaking. So, you know, everybody kind of got like upset and everything and just, it was kind of crazy to watch just because that was my first time ever like experiencing like going to one of those. And the fact that like the council members were very rude and almost like how supposed to be representing, it was just crazy how you get that feedback from them and they almost didn't care what was going on or our opinions. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sorry that you had that experience. Um, and, you know, part of the reason why I'm running for mayor is because too many people have had that experience, have had the experience of showing up to the people that work, that ultimately work for us and mm -hmm. feeling like you're the burden or you're somehow doing something wrong or you're annoying them by being there. And that's not the experience anybody should have, um, especially not young people who we want to be a part of this process or who I want to be a part of this process. I can't speak for everybody else, um, you know, moving forward and who I want to cultivate into the people to, to take the reins and to be the leaders and to help us govern our city. And I think a lot of that comes from not understanding that, you know, working together with community is a process and it takes time. Um, is not understanding that the people who are coming to share their hearts with you, even if they're coming to say no, or they're coming to, you know, oppose something, have a valuable viewpoint that we can learn from, um, and they're impacted. And so we have to sit with that um, and figure out what to do with those emotions and those feelings. And so what you experienced is the impact of a structure that does not value community input. And so you know, what, what I want to do, that's part of the reason why I talked, you know, earlier about wanting to change the governance structure so that more voices are involved, you know, to give you a little more detail about that, what I'd like is for the, the mayor and the council members and all of the department chairs um, and, and key staff to be able to introduce legislation. And then for that legislation to be on the city's website organized by topic. So if you're interested in climate change, you can go and see all the things the city is planning to do um, or proposing to do for climate change. And if you have, you know, input or feedback, you can provide that, right? And then it goes to, you know, those boards, committees, and commissions, the Youth Commission, the Disabilities Commission, the Measure U Commission, all of these commissions that exist that are comprised of volunteers, much like yourselves, um, to be able to have a first opportunity for our community to come and share thoughts and amendments and to say, I really support this, to say, I'd like to help, you know, all the things that will, will be helpful to know before it becomes passed into law. And then the proposal goes to the full council for conversation. And so that gives everybody much more time to be able to, to talk about what's going on, to understand it, to ask questions, to be able to weigh in on how they can help or what they'd like to see differently before the decision comes. And hopefully it'll make some of those conversations, at least from my experience, it does, it makes those conversations a little less heated because people have an opportunity to be heard, their feedback can be incorporated and their fears and concerns can be addressed. 
Because sometimes people tell you no, but the key question is why? right? Why don't you want this? And then they'll say to you, oh, well, you know, I'm really concerned about safety in the community. And we're like, well, okay, so we can move forward with the project, but let's talk about what we can do to make sure you're still safe. And let's talk about when we're going to come back to you and and what you're going to do if you don't, so that we can, we can have some continuous accountability on this and we can Mm -hmm. make this project work, right? Like sometimes no is an opening offer. And what you really want to know is why are you opposed to this or why do you support it? And so, you know, again, I'm really sorry you had that experience because that shouldn't be the way things are. And that's one of the things in terms of culture and in terms of experience, I want to bring more music and more art and more Mm -hmm. like community into that space so that we're having a real conversation and we're recognizing that governance doesn't have to be stodgy and impersonal, that policy is about our lived experiences and it's about life or death and that we should be able to to handle those those conversations with the gravity and importance and connection that they deserve. And just so we know, we do have a question in the chat for you, but I want to make sure that we get to our co-hosts really quick and get their their initial questions out of the way, and we'll address this question that's on the screen. So, Melissa, it's on you. Um, so my question is, you talked a little bit earlier about why politics are important to you as a Black person. So can you talk in the broader aspect of things, why politics are important as um, a Black community and how knowledge in this field can benefit us? Absolutely. So I'll be the first to say that, you know, don't don't tell my public health colleagues, but public health isn't everything. Policy Politics isn't everything, but it's something. Um, both of them are incredibly important. Uh, and so when I think about politics, you know, we, there's a saying, the personal is political. And what it really means is that, you know, if you are a person who believes in human rights, um, then every law that we create is either affirming or taking away from those human rights. And so you have a vested interest in politics. If you're a person who, you know, wants to breathe clean air and drink clean water um, and exist with your family in, pe- in peace and free from, from, you know, adversity, then you have a vested interest in politics. Politics are is the decision around how we will talk about issues and what we will do about the issues that are facing our community. And so all of us have a vested interest in politics, even if you don't engage in the political system in a direct way, but you have a vested interest. I've never met an apolitical person in my life because (laughs) if you have many beliefs or goals or dreams or anything, something about that is gonna be governed by the law and what is or is not allowed. You're gonna use money to do it. All of those things are political. Um, so that's usually what I say to people who say, oh, I'm not political. And I'm like, okay, so you're not engaged in formally in the process, but you are political because you have beliefs and you have, and you, you abide by laws or you break them either way. You are political. You are making a statement about what you think is or is not the way we should govern ourselves. And so let's talk about it. Right. And, and let's figure out how we can all be a part of the process in ways that work for us. But that's why I think it's important to our community because, literally our ability to be able to do all the things we do is governed by what is allowed, what is acceptable, and the the interplay between what we govern and what we allow people to decide on their own. And if you're just now joining us, we are talking with Dr. Flo. We are talking about how more is possible, which is also her campaign slogan um, that I see her using out there in the community. So a uh, big shout out for allowing us to borrow that. Um, <laughs> Yeah. the ideas of what to call it um adrian so uh with us having mayor steinberg in office since 2016 i'm curious if you're elected mayor do you have any policies that you would want to reverse that he put in place or any plans that he's promised that you want to pick up on mm. Um, I, I can say I have both. Um, so, you know, one of the things, one of the, the, the really important ways that I got involved in the city was um, by joining the Active Transportation Commission, because I wanted to make sure transportation is so incredibly important for our climate goals. It's also incredibly important for our economic goals. If you can't get to work, it takes you three hours to get to work. That job probably is not going to be one that you're going to have very long or you're going to be able to sustain, right? And so it's incredibly important to me that we work on that. And then I was tapped to join the Climate Commission and then be became the chair of the Measure U Community Advisory Committee. And so one of the, the promises that was made when Measure U was on the ballot mm-hmm. was that we were going to spend the money on the arts community, on inclusive economic development, and on housing and homelessness. And unfortunately, those dollars did not go there. And so that is something that I want to write at what I feel like is a grave wrong because people are paying in their sales, 
you know, tax dollars to that fund. And it doubled in size when we decided to double the amount of the tax. Um, and so those dollars should be invested in communities. I want to see Del Paso Heights and that Del Paso Boulevard corridor have, be a thriving, you know, business um, with local businesses, with district two owned businesses, with new businesses, right, of people who are able to, to operate there. I want to see, you know, South Sacramento. I want people within your community to not have to leave to get basic things. I want you to be able to stay in your community and to leave because you want to, not because you can't get what you need there. And so I think that should be a goal. Um, it should be a goal that we have thriving, you know, economic centers throughout the city and not just in one area. Um, and so I'm really committed to that. I'm also committed to making sure our arts community because they are not only an economic boom for us, but it's also a cultural boom. It also creates the environment, you know, Sacramento. And so one of the things, one of the, you know, charges I'm really going to issue is what may, what's what's Sacramento's brand? Because one of the things I love is thinking about like Coachella made outdoor music their brand. So now when you hear the city of Coachella, people don't even realize that's a city now. They think of it as a festival. I didn't know. I thought I it was a festival. Yeah. <laughs> right. So so what is Sacramento's brand? What are the things, what is the thing that's going to be synonymous with us, right? And it doesn't have to be so strong a brand, people forget Sacramento's a city, right? But just something that people associate when you think about Sacramento, what is it? And how can we build on that? Because as a non-native, you know, as a person who's not from Sacramento, I came here and I loved it. And a lot of people who are from here were like, man, this place is whack. Or they were like, you know, I'm actually from the Bay. And I'm like, no, you're not. You just think it's cool to say that. Like, let's stop acting like you were always a Warriors fan. You were just supporting the Warriors because the Kings were losing, right? And now you're over here talking about lights and beam. So, right. Let's double down on what makes Sacramento cool instead of trying to make this little Silicon Valley or little Hollywood or little somebody, something else. It's so much better to be yourself than it is to be a generic version of something else. Mm. Uh, and so I'm really interested in, in doing that for Sacramento. One of the things I do want to keep is the focus on homelessness, but I do want to do it very differently than the mayor Steinberg did because I don't think he was as effective um, getting things done as he could have been in part because you know, I don't think he collaborated as much as you need to, to be able to address deep and intractable issues. Um, and I think that at times he tried to make everybody happy. And we all know that if you try to make everybody happy, you ultimately make nobody happy. nobody happy, right? Mm -hmm. And so sometimes you have to decide what's important and what the goal is. And I think we're at a critical juncture in Sacramento where everybody agrees that housing and homelessness is our number one issue. And so, and we all agree that we want something different to happen. So now some people are going to have different ideas of what that different looks like, um, but we're going to do something different and we're going to make that happen. And the people who are naysayers, they will get on board when we start having success because everybody wants to claim a piece of the success. Talk to them. Talk quick, to them. Quick, quick question. I don't mean to make this about the mayor, but wasn't homelessness his thing before becoming mayor? Not before becoming mayor. Before becoming mayor is more so mental health. He was the mm -hmm. author of Services Act when he was in the legislature. Um, but of course, there is a, a dovetail between the two issues. And so it was one of his campaign promises when he came to Sacramento. Um, but I, you know, taking a moment. Well, to he's been in Sacramento. We, we don't want to say he came to Sacramento because he yeah, just. He's been in Sacramento. Yeah, when he came back to the city of Sacramento, I mean. Um, yes, yes, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but, but yeah, because he has, he has been here for like in Sacramento for a long time, but I just mean from focusing on the state to back to focusing on the city. Um, mm -hmm. What I what I do think, you know, just to speak on my race more broadly, is that I think that you know the the state and the city are very different. Um, and in terms of just how it works, local politics is very different, and local politics changed a lot from the time he was a council member to the time he came back as mayor. And so now we have candidates who have either served previously who want to come back, um, either because they went to the legislature and are coming back or because they, but ultimately because they are termed out of the legislature and are looking for their next job. And so I don't know that that's as easy a transition as everybody thinks it is. And so... Hmm. I actually think we need some people who've been paying attention. We need a mayor like myself who's been paying attention at the local level, who's been engaged at the local level, and who can focus on how and has a vision for how things can be done at the local level, not somebody who's like, I like being elected. Hmm, what's an open seat? Okay, let me do that next. Talk to him. <laughs>
Um, and I want to get to this question in the chat. It says, can you speak on the small business community and what you're doing to protect businesses as far as regulations? So what I'm assuming is what will you do as far as to protect businesses as far as regulations? Yes, absolutely. And thank you, Domino, for the Domino Nicole for this question. Um, or is it Domino? Um, I yeah. hope I said it right. Um, as a person with a complicated first name, I, I take that very seriously. So feel free to let me know if I said it wrong. Um, so the, the first thing I would say is that, you know, our small business community needs to, we need to be able to have conversations about the pain points in the same way that we have conversations about pain points when it comes to housing and homelessness or when it comes to transportation. Before we come up with a plan for what to do, we need to figure out what's not working so we can figure out how to make that work. And when I've had conversations with small businesses so far, what people have said to me over time is that it's really it's really hard to be able to get started in Sacramento. It's hard to be able to to maneuver because there's a lot of regulation, there's a lot of red tape, um, and so it ends up making it really difficult to be profitable. And ultimately, people will are are desirous of just taking their businesses elsewhere because it's not worth the hassle. So mm -hmm. I want to I want to be able to dig in deeper and figure out what are the hassles, right? Is the issue that you don't have access to capital? Because if so, let's talk about how the city can be supportive of that. Is the issue that we have too many regulations for you to be able to do things like permitting and that sort of thing? If so, let's talk about how can we streamline, right? And I have seen some examples recently of us streamlining better. So there's there was this policy that was put out to be able to say people can add um, if they own their homes in a, in a big lot they can add an additional building on the lot. So you could have your adult children live with you or your aging parents or relatives, um, you know, live with you. And so at first it took a lot to get approved to be able to build on there. And so finally they said, okay, this is taking a long time. And a lot of these aren't getting built because it's taking so long. What happens if we come up with some blueprints of different sizes so that if you choose one of these blueprints, you can skip over, you know, seven of these steps and go straight to the next part. So that's the kind of innovate and, I, and the city did that and I give them credit for that. And so that's the kind of thinking I want us to be thinking is what are the things we can do to make this easier for most people? So if you're not trying to build an octagonal, you know, seven story bu building that needs a bunch of, of oversight, but you just want to build a 500 foot thing for grandma to live in. Well, here's, here's your blueprint, go off and have somebody do it. Like we don't need to have a, a whole lot of conversation, right? So how do we fast track some of the things that are happening because most people are the usual scenario. They're not the special case scenario and making them jump through hoops like they are the special case scenario is just cumbersome and burdensome. I've also heard from some of our businesses um, that are running like food trucks and things like that, that they are heavily regulated in a way that makes it hard for them to be able to set up and to establish. And that's a lower cost business than having a brick and mortar. And it also allows you to be able to move to where the people are so you can stay profitable. So what can we do to be able to make those businesses, again, be able to operate more smoothly? So I'm a problem solver by nature. I generally approach most problems with the question of what can we do, not, well, that's impossible, oh well. So I wanna hear more from people about what's wrong and then start asking some questions about what we can do differently to make that, that, that happen. And also I wanna use some of the empty buildings that we have to be able to be prospective storefronts so that new businesses can can have them for a little while and build some clientele and build up some revenue to be able to own and do the long term what they'd like to do in another space. Mm, I like that. And before Jalen goes, I have a question because you did mention that you wanted to see District 2, that that corridor become a thriving type of thing. Now, yeah. with their most recent representative um, resigning after being indicted federally, um, I'm wondering, um, and based on the fact that he voted against this uh, youth liaison position, um, I'm wondering how District 2 or what should they be looking for? Or what do you think the type of person District 2 needs to be looking for to replace um, that lack of leadership that came out of uh, their previous uh, representative? Just some ideas. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, you know, it, it was really frustrating to watch that happen because, you know, I mean, not only did that person, you know, engage in some, you know, some things that got them indicted, right, but also, mm -hmm. you know, prop, most likely evidence suggests that didn't live in the district um, and, you know, and said things like, well, everybody knows I'm not a fan of affordable housing. And I'm like, he's not a fan of living in his district either. Right. I was but like, you, said, you said that you said the quiet part out loud, and that sounds wild. Like you're not a fan of people affording their housing. Like, 
make it make sense. I'm being petty. <laughs> right. So, so what I would say is that to the voters of D2, right, you know your community well. And so right. first and foremost, you know when somebody lives in your neighborhood or not. Um, and so don't just because, you know, like what's that saying from Batman, like and in and in their um and in their desperation, they turned to a man that they didn't know or understand, right? Which was the Joker. So don't turn to a man you don't know or understand, right? Um, <laughs> like, to, like, make sure, you know, the people who have been around and the people who have been consistent in your community for years are the people you should be looking to for leadership right now. And thankfully, there are nine people who've shown up um, to be able to be on the ballot. Um, and so you have robust choices um, and you have choices of people who you've known, who've been a part of this community, who have been leaders in your community, who you who you know their background and their reputation. And so that, those are the questions I think we would start with because a lot of the other parts of the job are learnable, but who people's character, what people's character is and what their vision for your community is, is, is often pretty fixed in terms of you like who they are and you know their track record. There's nobody there who's running who just popped up on the scene. So mm -hmm. think about what you want for, for the community. I would also say somebody who's gonna be a voice for people who have not always had a voice. So in other words, you know, who are the lower income people in your community, the black and brown and Hmong people in your community, right? Like the people who are there who need the additional opportunities because if we do right by them, the people who have secure finances and others will also benefit, right? Okay. So it's not as if they're gonna be hard, but it's but you're gonna do right by the people who are there. And I think that's what ultimately the people who live in D2 want is somebody who knows and cares for their community and is gonna have a vision for making it better for the people who have struggled. So my question is, um, with the with the youth right now being as outspoken as they are, and something like a youth liaison being brought up, what is the idea that you can uh, implement to to harness that youth voice and get more youth into politics? Yeah, so one of the things that I did when I was on the Measure U committee, um, and I was part of the group that actually came up with the Measure U committee, and so we made sure that there's a youth seat on the Measure U commission. And I'm bringing that up because we always struggled to fill it. We always got somebody who was like 23 and a half, and got to serve for like a year and then they they you know they aged out when they turned 25. So we we I, but that seat exists and I fought with the youth commission to make sure to make the recommendation that all of the boards committees and commissions would have a youth seat. Um and so that that has been an active like way that we've been trying to embed youth voice into all the decisions that are happening. I want it to be a priority to get young people involved in our city from summer at, at city hall to having partnerships between the city and our school districts, um, to, to, to just finding ways that we can create pathways. Because when I talked to some of the summer at City Hall um, participants over last year, they were saying they didn't feel welcome. They felt the same thing that you know you felt when you went to you know the city council meeting, which is like I'm some I'm I'm, I'm a burden to somebody and nobody mm -hmm. wants me. And I don't want that to be the experience. So I really want to think about cultivating a youth-centered experience for how you understand governance, how we can partner with schools to be able to have that not just be a one-off, but an ongoing experience. Um, and also, you know, making sure that there are young people involved in, in the mayor's office when I'm mayor, um, because, you know, you keep us young. Somebody got to run my TikTok, right? Like, because it's <laughs> right. <to> me, so. <laughs> Thank you for saying that out loud. No, I, you know, just so like so that those are the ways that I want you know our communities to be connected. Um, I want you know the 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 student governments at the schools to be able to have a relationship with their city government government, right? Like that's a great leadership and learning opportunity and a, and a way to be able to make that that experience more meaningful. And so I want to make sure that that we are doing those things in addition to funding youth programs um, and some of the things that are maybe more distant from governance, um, but still allow for enrichment and for people to be prepared for job opportunities and careers um, and and their hobbies even right like not everything has to be capitalism like some of this can just be like you like to paint and we want to encourage you to paint because it's good for your well-being that's right that's right um and if you're just joining us dr flo is in the building we are talking about how more is possible and i just want to put this on your radar should you be elected just know that we would love to partner with you on producing that youth-centered uh, experience at city hall and um, we've been doing it for a number of years at the legislature so just to bring it more local would be um amazing and yes. The 
what we witnessed when we came to city council, that was not my first city council meeting, but what it seemed like is there was the, you can't sit with us mentality. Um, it was a lot of mean girl energy coming off that dais. Um, there were a lot of people walking in and out of the room when people, when the kids were up giving public comment. Um, and it's just like, if I don't care about putting and and I probably shouldn't say it like this, but I am, um, I don't really care about how you say you want to put a youth on every board and commission if your energy is like that when they come into contact with you mm -hmm. because that lets me know they're not going to be on those boards and commissions for a long time and even in talking to the chair of the youth commission he said that there is a formalized process for them to get information to the city council that comes out of those boards and commissions so I would like if you were to be elected for you to make that streamline that process for them to be able to get it without having to write a paper or whatever it is the process is now but creating a, a time when they can come and report out would yes. probably be um, advantageous. And I know Carlos had a question, so I'm going to go on over here to him. Can, can I can I just address that? Because that is absolutely part of, of the plan. So when I was on, and mind you, I, I was an adult serving on the board's amazing commissions. And I was like, this feels bad, not working with my colleagues on the commission, but every time we had to interface with the, with the council, because like, one time they put, we had a report that we had written up and shared with them and they put us on consent. And then literally two of us had to go up and we got two minutes each to make a public mm -hmm. comment on my own report. We didn't get to present it as though we were staff and have all the time we needed to, to talk about it, right? Um, mm. Often no action was taken, no response was ever given. So they would basically just do the equivalent of leaving our messages on red. And it's like, why am I volunteering to be your advisor if you're not going to listen to us and if you're going to make decisions before we get a chance to even weigh in on them one year they voted on the budget and then they were like okay measure you what do you think we should spend the money on but you already decided why am i here so that's mm. really important to me that when our boards committees and commissions have recommendations that they get time as a discussion item on our agendas to be able that's to right. come and present to be able to answer questions to be able to be given the dignity and respect that they deserve um, I think it's really important that we bake them into the decision-making process, as I mentioned earlier, so that before we vote on something, it goes to the relevant commission. That we're not talking about an arts project without going to the arts commission. That we're not talking about youth funding before it goes to the youth commission. That's important to me because that's an opportunity for us to hear from even more young people and for also young people in the community to be able to call in and talk to their peers and talk about it and, and have their voices represented. So you're absolutely right. It's not enough, just like when we talk about racial equity or you know any other type of thing, it's not enough to just be like, well, we open the doors and we let you in, hope you're gonna feel good here. It's also about cultivating an environment that is inclusive and that says you're, and, and a structure that says, we care about what you have to say, we're, in, we're listening when you're talking to us and we're baking you into the process in a meaningful way because we all know when we're being BSed. You're right. And so uh, Carlos has a question and then Anaya, follow Carlos, okay? Yeah, I say, um, you kind of struck a little chord and had me a little emotional earlier when you are talking about 47, right? Mm -hmm. I'm a 47-year-old African-American male and a father. So mm -hmm. as I'm looking at more holistic ways of dealing with diet and health and, what stuff and whatnot, I don't really see any supermarkets in any of these urban areas that offer low sodium foods that offer healthy advantages. You speak her language. You see her. So, <laughs> but on top of that, like it's not even just about the food desert. It's just a simple fact that they're not even informed. So when do we ever get a whole foods in a black community? When do we ever mm -hmm. get a nugget in the South area? When do we ever get a co-op in Oak park? So, and when do we ever make it affordable for them to be able to do that? Because I don't really see the meat that I see at Food Co. Ain't the same meat that I see at Nugget. And mm, I'm wondering sure. why that makes it okay for us to not be privy to these things that come down the pipeline. Ooh, you are speaking my love language. Listen. All right. Let, let, let's get into it. Let's really get into it. Because you, you, you already named the problem. Um, and, you know, one of the things, like my background is, is doing this. So, you know, what, what we worked on, if you've ever been to a restaurant and you've seen calories on your menu, that was the organization that I worked for that fought to make sure that that information was available. And the, we know the way we got that was because legislators, a lot of them thought it wasn't necessary. And so we came in with four questions. We said, okay, here's a menu item. Which one is the lowest calorie? Nobody got it right. 
because you couldn't guess from what it said. You don't know about the hidden ingredients or how much sodium is in this, right? So you absolutely need labeling. We absolutely need to make sure that we are able to protect our communities. One of the things we fought for for a long time is healthy checkout because we know that those things that they put, you know, the impulse purchases, there's a reason why there's a little lane there when you're getting ready to, to do your last minute, but because you always grab something from there and throw it in your, and it's almost always candy and soda and all of these other things. And we're like, you could also have healthy checkout so that when I'm grabbing an impulse purchase, it's something that's better for me, right? So there's a way in which we not only design the, the layout of our stores, but also the food deserts in our community. Um, and so I did not mean to give you, you know, a sense of anxiety because of my personal experience with my dad passing away and you being a dad, but I know how that feels, right? Um, to, to worry about it because I, when my sister turned 47, she's a few years older than me and all year she was like, oh God, like, oh God, I'm 47, right? So it, it lingers in your head. Um, but one of the things we need to do as a community is make sure that we have, that we start, when I said before, you have everything you need in your community so you don't have to leave. And so what does it look like to be able to, to start with, you know, um, to start with farmers markets and make sure every community has access to fresh produce and then build the farmers markets out so that there's a, a, an ongoing place. So if you're not available on Saturday or Sunday when they're happening, that you still can go and get your produce. Um, we've done a great job of making sure that farmers markets accept EBT and other things like that, which is great because it makes it accessible for people. But we need to make sure that we have more opportunities like that and that we are looking and saying, who doesn't have access to a grocery store and how do we put one there? And how can it be, you know, owned by the community? How could it be a co-op, right? And how do we how do we make it a co-op and make it so that everybody gets to participate in it and also keep the prices low enough for it to be able to be accessible to the community so you don't have people driving in from the suburbs saying, ooh, I'm gonna get some good produce in Meadowview, right? Like we wanna make sure that when it's built, it's also built to serve our communities. And that's incredibly important to me. And I think that there are dollars that we can invest to be able to make sure that we're thinking about our health and well-being in our communities. And we're designing healthy communities from the layout of, are there sidewalks I can walk on? And you know, are there trees to be able to provide shelter and cover so that I can walk safely? You know, when it's, when it's um, warmer outside, you know, all of the ways that we, we design a community to make sure that it's something that we can engage in healthily and it's, it's promoting our health. And so we are running down to the last minutes that we have. We have about, I'll say about, we'll give it 10 minutes, right? So we're going to have to do a lightning round. So if you have your questions, have your questions ready, Dr. Flo, we're going to give you like 30 seconds to answer. We're going to move on to the next question. Um, so we can just get as many in here as possible. So Anaya, you're up. And we'll go to Vanessa next and then Melissa. So I know me and my mom would be driving around Sacramento. We would see a lot of like houses and apartments being built. We'd also notice a lot of people who are houseless living on the street. So what plans do you have in action to address that problem? And then how are you going to keep it sustainable so it actually is, yeah. Great question. Two things. One is those units are often market rate. And market rate means that people can charge whatever somebody's willing to pay and only lower it if, it if they sit vacant. And so we need to actually make sure that there's affordable housing at all levels so people aren't spending more than 30% of their income on housing because if so, then they have one extra bill, one, and one accident, one health scare, and now they can't afford their rent, which is the second part of this, which is rent control. Right now, rents are going up 10% a year, but incomes aren't. And so eventually that rent's going to exceed your income and you're not going to be able to stay anymore. And also if it goes up, that means that that extra 10% that you could have been saving for a down payment to be able to have, an, uh, you know, some savings or to be able to get a house means it's now going into your rent, which makes you even further and further away from that. So we need real rent control in the city of Sacramento as well. And so those are the two things I want to make sure we have is inclusive, inclusionary zoning so that we make sure we have affordable housing and also rent control. And I'm signed on to Sacramento Forward, which is a suite of policies to be able to address housing and homelessness that three of the other city council members have also signed on to. And so all we need is one more vote. All right. Which is why elections matter. <laughs> <laughs> um, when doing my research, I saw that there was a complaint filed against the time frame in which you uh, raised your um, donations. So I just wanted to give you an opportunity to address that. Yes, thank you so much. So. Um, 
a gentleman hey, in our, <laughs> a, a gentleman in our community who um, does not like to see women of color be successful and said I was a nothing burger when I first ran then was shocked that I, yes, he, he called me a nothing burger. Um, and then was shocked that I was able to raise money. Um, and I like to joke and say, you know, there's a reason why for a long time it was illegal to teach black people how to read because when you teach us how to read, we learn how to read. And so we have regulations and the regulation said that the primary election period started on April 1st. I didn't open up my committee until April 13th. And once the primary election period starts, you can raise, you have unlimited amounts that you can raise money. Now the challenge was the city clerk made a mistake and forgot to update the other section where it said off election years um, to be able to match our primary being in March, right? Instead of being in June, which it used to be. So then it also said the off election year ends on June 30th. So we reached out to the city clerk multiple times, did not, never got a response. And so we were mm. like, look, this is what it says. We can read the plain language. And ultimately we were right. And the city clerk said, we made a mistake. It, it, the date should have aligned and you interpreted it correctly. And if no, if nobody else ra raised more money, then they interpreted it incorrectly because we know how to read and write. And we consulted with attorneys and that was that. So it ended up being thrown out, but I am really thankful to that gentleman because he got me, you know, Sunday coverage in the B and as a first-time candidate, that meant people learned I existed who didn't even know that there was an election coming up. And so it was a great way to introduce them to the campaign. And people do not like a bully. I'm the first Black woman to ever run for mayor. I'm not an insider politician. I'm not a, I'm not wealthy. You know, I'm part of the working class. Um, I have to work to live, uh, which is why I was working full-time until I started taking vacation days recently to be able to campaign for the last, like, six weeks. And, you know, and people just saw it as the bullying that it was. Like, you have establishment politicians who are trade transferring over half a million dollars and you're picking on the kid who started from zero wow so yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> melissa <laughs> so you were giving me 18 and a hundred dollars here right it's not like you know the oil company came in and dropped a half a million on me like what are <laughs> what are we even doing here wasting time <laughs> you're, you're mad because people like what i'm saying well you know, hmm. Melissa, you're up. So you've talked a little bit about like your goals and specific goals that you have um, for if you are elected mayor. And so my question is overall, what is, what do you hope to accomplish? What is like the overarching theme um, that of your goals that you hope to accomplish? If, and I, I really do hope that I just am one of many mayors that Sacramento has and people kind of forget I was ever here. And so I would love to be able to have that. I don't know if you all have seen the preacher's wife, but you know, Dudley, who's Dudley? I don't remember that, right? So that lasting impact being that in this town, we believe that the community's voice matters and we have processes to allow the community voices in. I'd also love to be able to make sure that we start to address, you know, housing and homelessness and make this a place that's more affordable for everyone. I'd like to expand economic opportunity. I'd like to be able to really make some change on our climate goals. But I also know that I trust my community. I trust that the people who live here want to live in a healthy and safe community and that there's a lot more of us um, with a lot with really good values living here and that if we open up more opportunity that those things will come so ultimately my main goal is that we, we leave and it becomes a cultural value in sacramento that when it comes to decision making we include voices we slow down and and let everybody in we have hard conversations and we govern from our values and if we can do that i think all the other the outcomes the tangible things that we do will come from it but right now the system is designed for people to make money off the problems and not for us all to benefit from the solutions. And that's what I want to change. Adrian. Um, so I'm curious as to when you first got here 20 years ago, do you believe crime has is as rampant as it is now as it was back then? You know, it's hard to tell, right? Because I'm putting on my, my public health, my epidemiology hat, right? Because we have we have more we have media in different ways so we're more aware of stuff that's going on um we have you know different ways of, of even even though we've always measured it we have different ways of accounting and people report things differently right so 
are is crime being driven by 911 calls because that's going to be determined by did I decide to call 911 right is crime being driven by who's in our jails because that's going to be decided by who decided to get arrested and for what right is crime being decided only by violent crime in terms of deaths because usually those are at least our I mean, we know if somebody's alive or dead, that's kind of an easy metric to be able to make sure we got right. But the other ones are always subjective and they're always determined by what was reported, what wasn't, do I feel like, ah, you stole 50 bucks from my porch, no big deal, or yeah, right? So uh, my answer would be, I think safety is in the eye of the beholder. And if we mm -hmm. don't feel safe in our communities, then we're not. And it doesn't, you can, you can scream until you're blue in the face, you're safe, but I don't feel safe. That's the, that's the reality we're in, right? And so I hear people in our community talking about us not being safe. Um, I hear people in our community talking about the loved ones that they've lost. And we went two years from 2017 to 2020 with no young people dying from gun violence. And so I wanna go back to that reality because that was tangible and people felt it. Um, I wanna go to a reality where, you know, people feel comfortable walking through their neighborhoods during the day and at night um, and are not worried about their own safety. I want to live in a world where people have enough food to eat and a place to sleep. Um, so they're not having to consider resorting to desperate measures to be able to meet their basic human needs. I wanna live in a world where we have, you know, bathrooms available so that people don't have to poop on your front yard because they don't have anywhere else to go, right? Like, and and that's, and I say that because it's so, people always mention the feces and they're like, you know, this person, and I'm like, have you ever been out and needed a bathroom? Because I have, and I have certainly used the privilege of not looking stereotypically unhoused to be able to go into a coffee shop or another place and ask for that code and use the bathroom. And I also mm -hmm. know if I looked different, if I spoke differently, people wouldn't let me in. And I've been in spaces where, you know, there's long stretches with no public restroom. And I have felt the empathy for what you do when you're not that person. And so I want us to live in a world where people have the basic dignity of being human affirmed by their government. I love that. And do you have time for at least one more question? Sure. Because I want to make sure that we're uh, being mindful of your time because we yeah. don't want to overstep. But we got so many people in here and we're trying to spread the love to everybody. So do you have uh, one I more question? question? A comment. Okay, you have a comment. Do you have a question? Mm -hmm. Okay, so we have a comment, not a question. So the comment is more or less a challenge to you if you don't already know this term. But I do want to double back on you and ask you about it because I want to see how that gets incorporated later. But it is a question. Credible. <laughs> no, no, no. Sorry. Credible messengers. <laughs> Yes. Are you familiar? Yes, I am. Credible messengers are people who are embedded in a community who, instead of it coming from a stranger who's outside, it comes from the credible credible messengers. Um, in the health world, we talk about them as community health workers or promotoras. Um, there are people who, who you listen to and are able to be able to provide um, input and are able to be sort of the liaison between right. community members and an institution. So more specifically, with, with what I have a passion with, is from the juvenile justice, right? Yep. Aspect of credible messengers with the yep. people that are actually dealing with the kids and the youth yep. that are justice involved. And yep. I'll double back. I've heard the broker thing, but at the same time, the uh, juvenile justice has a different take on it. And I want to yep. be able to speak with you about that. Yeah. So he's going, I'm going to give him this number you put in the chat. Yep. Um, so he can speak with you about that later. Absolutely. <laughs> and so, first of all, we want to thank you for taking the time. Um, to sit with us, um, taking time out of your busy schedule, because I know you out here going house to house, trying to meet as many people as you can. So taking an hour just to spend it with us uh, means a lot. So thank you so much for that. Um, and, and for anybody else, we are going to actually make sure that we are being fair and impartial. So we will be sending out an email to other candidates to see if they want to kind of face the firing squad um, as we ask them some questions too about what it is that they're doing. Um, and We'll make sure that that goes out and, and we'll be as, as fair as, as possible. Um, but man, you already know how I feel about you. So I ain't going to even tell everybody, <laughs> else, but um, it's, it's refreshing to kind of be able to sit with somebody and it's not politics as usual. Um, that they actually have a pulse on the community that they've actually been talking and listening um, to what people are telling them. And that really has no ulterior motive. This is not a stepping stone for you, as you've already alluded to. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm just like, yeah, because <laughs> I mean, I can spend time being petty, but you didn't give me that opportunity. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> because it's just like, you know, at some point we're going to have to get back to care, compassion and concern. And I think that we found that um, with you running um, as a candidate. So thank you again um, for spending time with us. Um, we will be off next week because it is uh, MLK Day. It so is. I hope to see you all at the march. And if, and if I can, just one last thing. If you liked what you heard and you'd like to get involved, uh, my website is flowformayor.com. That's F-L-O-F-O-R-M-A-Y-O-R.com. You can sign up for everything from a lawn sign to put in front of your, your house to phone banking with us, to door knocking with us. We believe in connecting with community and hearing from people. So please come out and join. We are 28 days away from ballots being mailed and we are 56 days from election day. So um, one thing to note is that in this community, even if you have been previously justice involved and you've been incarcerated in some way, you can still register and vote. Tell everybody you know, um, and you know you can register the same day up to March fifth, which is uh, which is officially election day. But you can register on site and vote that same day. So um, let people know. And again, flowformayor.com would love to be able to have you join the team. Um, we're the we're the fun squad. You know, everybody else is gonna be business as usual. We dance, we sing, love on each other. So you know, come come join the movement. This is where the cool kids are. Um, and hopefully one of y'all will seriously run my TikTok, please. <laughs> Kevin, <laughs> we, we'll we'll see what we can do to hook you up for sure. <laughs> um, so with that, you guys, we're gonna hit y'all with the peace sign because there's too many of us in here to do the wave. Uh, we will catch you uh, the 23rd right here, 4:30 PST on Facebook and YouTube. And look at her. She's <laughs> anyway, we out of here. We peace out. HBCU. We gonna do the wave. We gonna do the way. Yay! Come on, Selman, represent. <laughs>